looking to sound like you know what's going on in the world? Pop culture, social strategy, comedy, and other funny stuff? Well, join the club and settle in for the Jeff Dwoskin Show. It's not the podcast we deserve, but the podcast we all need with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, David, thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You get the show going each and every week, and this week was no exception. Welcome, everybody, to episode 71 of Live from Detroit, The Jeff Duoskin Show. As always, I am your host, Jeff Duoskin, ready to serve up podcast goodness for you. That's right. We're on episode 71. Can you believe it? If you're just listening right now for the first time, that means you have 70 episodes to catch up on after this one. So let's get to it so you can explain to your family where you'll be for the next week and a half listening to Live from Detroit, The Jeff Duoskin Show. This week, I welcome an amazing guest. D.D. Pfeiffer is here with me. That's right, D.D. Pfeiffer. You loved her in the sitcom Sybil for your love. She's currently starring in Big Sky on ABC, and you can catch it on Hulu, an amazing show by her brother-in-law, David E. Kelly. We talk about working with David E. Kelly. We talk about working with her sister, Michelle Pfeiffer. We dive into some of her classic appearances on Seinfeld and Friends and the movie Falling Down with Michael Douglas. And we spend a lot of time talking about the 10 years she took off of acting to become a social worker during which time she came face-to-face with her addictions and how she overcame those addictions. It's an amazing story, an amazing story, and I can't wait for you to hear it, and it's coming up in just a few minutes. And you're going to be inspired by the story, I promise you that. It's a great one. Speaking of a great one, last week's episode with Rich Scheidner was so great. So many amazing stories. To talk to a comedian who's been with some of the biggest names in comedy and get him to share all those stories was unbelievable. During the interview, he mentioned the Comedy Store documentary, which embarrassingly I said I didn't see because I didn't have showtime, but now I have it, and so I started watching it. So it's amazing. I'm two episodes in, and I will report in the future my full review, but so far it is amazing and well worth the time to watch. After, of course, you listen to every episode of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show. Which, by the way, if you love, and I know you do, I'd love for you to share it with your friends. Tell all your friends about Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show, the most amazing podcast in the world. Tell them they can find it on any podcast app. Tell them to follow me on social medias at Jeff Dewaskin Show on Twitter and Instagram. Tell them if they tweet along with hashtag Roundup one day, they may show up on my show. I know. You'll have to go into full excitement containment. They'll get, they'll start shaking. You'll be like, calm down. It's okay. We'll get through this together. And then you just start playing an episode of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin show. Tell him, hey, if you need to catch up, just go to his website, jeffisfunny.com. You can sign up for the mailing list, all that kind of good stuff. Everything's there. It's like a podcast boutique that you can just wade into and never and never leave. So do that. And uh, I appreciate it. Thank you very much in advance. And now it's time for the social media tip. All right. This is the exciting part of the show where I share a little bit of my social media knowledge with you. little 411 I picked up on the street. I've been doing social media now for some time. You can follow my personal at Big Macher, B-I-G-M-A-C-H-E-R on Twitter if you are so inclined. I've got two quick tips for you today for social media goodness. Tip number one, 
newsletters on Twitter. That's right, newsletters on Twitter. Via Twitter desktop, you can integrate with a company that they bought called Review, totally free. Set up your newsletter, you can schedule it, do all that kind of cool stuff, embed tweets, YouTube videos, anything your heart desires. Totally free, totally cool. The reason I'm bringing it up now, because I think I've brought it up before, they just integrated a new feature, and the feature is it can pin the newsletter subscription to the top of your Twitter feed. And brilliantly, they rolled it out on both desktop and mobile at the same time. Sometimes they don't do that. It's just, oh, just on desktop, just on mobile, both. What this means is anyone who goes to your profile can quickly subscribe or read your newsletter. Want to see what I'm talking about? Go to at Jeff Duwaskin Show on Twitter, and you'll see exactly what I mean. You can subscribe. Did I just trick you into trying to subscribe to my newsletter? I did. I did. Please do. But you'll be able to see it there, at Jeff Dewaskin Show on Twitter. You can subscribe. You can read. It's super cool. Okay. Now, tip number two. Sometimes us humans don't have the ability to become famous, but we have pets that can become famous. My daughter set up an account for our dog, Lola, Princess Lola on Instagram. Huge account. Way more followers on Instagram than I'll ever have. So my suggestion is if you have a cute pet, that's a good little secondary account to run. Something for your pet. We talk a little bit more about this during my conversation with Dee Dee Pfeiffer because she's got an amazing pet and I was trying to convince her to set up an account for her. All right, so you can get ready for that. But in the meantime, that's the social media tip. I do want to thank everyone who supports the sponsors week after week. Can't thank you enough. When you support the sponsors, you're supporting us. And that's how we keep the lights on here at Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show. This week's sponsor is Whammy Burger. Are you tired of falling down from hunger? Well, we've got the whammy for you. Breakfast is now served until 11.30 a.m. daily. Treat your tummy to some whammy eggs and sausage or a ham and cheese whamlet. Stopping in for lunch? Treat yourself to a double whammy burger with cheese and feel free to whammy it up with some bacon. Every sandwich comes with an order of whammy fries. Whammy fries. That's right. Now you can whammy up your fries by covering it totally in cheese. Whammy cheese fries, what your neighbors are talking about. And don't forget to drink it all down with our award-winning chocolate wham shakes. Your tummy will be thanking you for days, literally days. Come to Whammy Burger today, where the customer is always right. I don't know about you, but I've got nothing but great memories of traveling across country with my family, stopping into a Whammy Burger for lunch or breakfast. Such great memories. Thank you, Whammy Burger. All right. Everyone, go get a whammy. Well, I think now is a great time for me to share my conversation that I had with D.D. Pfeiffer with you. You're going to love it. She has an amazing career, an amazing life journey, and amazing stories to share with us. And I know you're going to love every minute of it. Enjoy. All right, everyone. My next guest has been rocking the small screen and the movie screen for years. You loved her in Sybil, For Your Love. And now she's back with a vengeance, starring in Big Sky. Everyone, welcome to the show, Dee Dee Pfeiffer. Hi, Jeff. Thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, so great to have you. It's fun having somebody on the show that has a, a hot TV show right mm. now. I'm going to have to rely on you to explain it because I'm afraid I've watched it. That's not what I mean. <laughs> I just... <laughs> It's a crazy show, but I'll try. <laughs> it's it's one of those shows where you don't want to give it away. Yeah. 
I was talking to somebody and I, they're like, we started to watch it, but then we got distracted. And I called them after I finished the first episode. I said, when did you finish? And they're like, we just, well, we were like 10 minutes in and then we got distracted. I'm like, well, you missed uh, about three. What the fuck? moments." How can a cast member on this show and do publicity and not drop some kind of spoiler because we are notorious for doing things that you just don't do on, on major networks, right? And so when you're doing publicity, you're like, uh, and well, uh, it, and then you just watch <laughs> because you don't want to spoil it, right? It's like a classic David E. Kelly show. You know, it's, you know, he does great stuff and the characters are fun characters and your character is great. All the characters, it's a real fun show. And so, you know, you got that. You can go in knowing it, it's safe entertainment or you'll be entertained. How do yeah. you explain it when people ask you? I'm a mess. When I try to like, I've done, I don't know how many interviews now. And each time I, tr I stumble and fall trying to say, well, so these two girls are detectives. And the, the pilot, you have to see the pilot because the first one will set up the tempo of the show, which is we will fuck with any character. We're not afraid to kill anybody off and nobody is safe, including me. Everyone thinks just because I'm David E. Kelly's sister-in-law that I'm safe. Hell no. Are you kidding me? Denise is not safe. Watch the show. Nobody's safe, <laughs> right? So that's what makes it really exciting. And if you continue on watching the first season, you'll see interesting characters. You'll see uh, emotionally charged scenes, a diverse amount of different kinds of characters, like literally jam-packed full of different kinds of characters and storylines that you just, when you think you know what's happening, we will throw you a curveball and you will do like what you said. What the fuck? <laughs> and then you'll call your friends and go, did you see that? And they're like, I'm not there yet. Don't tell me. So it's a great series for all of those things. And it's sexy and it's dangerously sexy. It's got like, you know, and like I said, we're not afraid to kill you. We invite you onto our show and we will kill you or you'll go to jail or something. I don't know. It depends who you are and what you did. <laughs> it's fun now watching shows that aren't afraid. I think maybe Game of Thrones was the first one to do that where they just said, oh, you love this character? We're killing it. Don't love anybody on Big Sky because there's no guarantee they're going to stick around. But the beauty of it is you don't know how they're going to exit the show. And that's where C.J. Box, the original, you know, he's the one who wrote all the books that David wrote this, the stories about. There's a lot of really good stuff. And the actors on the show are just fantastic. I am so flattered and honored to be involved with all of these actors. And we got young ones. We got old ones. We got recycled ones like me, been around. And then I disappear for 10 years and I come back. Yeah, we got a trans Jesse James Keitel, who is amazing. We just really have a lot of texture in the cast and the storylines as well. We're not afraid to kind of go there. And then, of course, there's Ronald, played by Brian, who I adore. He's just like this character that you love to hate, and you don't know if you want to, like, kill him or hug him, right? And those are so fun. Oh, yeah. Let's see what happens to Ronald the second season, right? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't. I have not a clue what's going on in the second season. I don't know yet. Yeah, I imagine they have to keep it a secret from everybody. They're probably always kind of readjusting too, or maybe just trying to figure it out. Yeah, I'll read a script and just, and then I'll see, watch it on TV and go, well, huh? What? What? I didn't, they changed that from the first draft. So things change constantly. So it's exciting as an actor too, to be on the show, because you really don't, don't fall in love with anything. We're kind of like you, the audience. Don't fall in love with anything too much because it could possibly change and more than likely it will. Without getting into spoilers, I would imagine the only people who really do not like this show would be truckers. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yet I would say truckers and people who um, sex traffic women are probably not going to like the show. I would imagine anybody who's pathological, homicidal, serial killer probably. Well, they actually probably would love the show because Ronald is a really interesting character, oddly sympathetic. And then, of course, there's the Klein Saucers, you know, which is the second kind of bottleneck. They're just some jacked up, dysfunctional, fucked up family man. I mean, I you think your family's fucked up? Watch Big Sky, watch the Klein Saucers and tell me if you can compete with that shit. <laughs> If <laughs> <laughs> you want to feel great about your family, tune in to Big Sky. <laughs> like we're dysfunctional like everybody, but come on, the client saucers. For everyone listening, Hulu, you can catch up on Hulu. And then you guys you got picked up for a second season, so that's exciting. That's why I actually took off from LA and I'm here and we're now filming in New Mexico. First season we were in Canada because of COVID. Now we're back in New Mexico, which is originally where we started. So everyone who wants to see what the makers of Big Sky think Montana looks like while filming in Vancouver. <laughs> tune in. I tell you, it's movie magic. You know, we were in Canada, we made it look like Montana. Now we're going to be in New Mexico making it look like Montana. They're making me not look my age. How about that? Movie magic. <laughs> <laughs> so what's it like working with your brother-in-law, David E. Kelly? Well, it's funny. Everyone asks that and my answer is the same. We don't really work together because it was COVID in the first season. Well, he was the showrunner in the first half of the season and then Elwood came on and now he'll continue being the showrunner. But I saw him like twice on a Zoom call with all the cast and all the writers and all the producers. So he was just like a little head in a window. And I just kind of was like trying not to be stupid because I don't know how to act, you know, because he's my brother-in-law and I want to talk to him about fishing and I've never worked with him and we never talk shop. Jeff, we never talk shop. So to be on a Zoom call working and he's my boss is just so odd for me that I just kind of get real quiet and try not to be say something stupid. <laughs> Just keep it on the DL, like be invisible in a Zoom call. <laughs> you say you don't talk shop, but like when you're, I assume you got some family dinners you might do together every now and then, holidays or something. Very tight family, very close. We see each other on the holidays and birthdays. That's it, really. But we never talk shop, rarely talk shop. The entire family's like that. So Dave is no exception. I don't talk. I mean, I might talk to my sister, Shell, about like, oh, my hair color, it's getting too red. Or, you know, oh, I'm losing my hair. It's more of the conversation. And, you know, what's going on with my neck, the gobble gobble? And she's like, oh, there's some great cream out there. You know, I mean, stuff like that. But that's girl stuff more than talking shop. We don't talk shop. We talk more about life stuff, kids, and growing old, trying to grow old gracefully. Lately, a huge topic for me. And like my sister, where is she now? She said she's in London. I took off to New Mexico. I only found out she was going from my other sister. Michelle claimed she told me, no, she did not. She's losing her mind. I told her that. The bitch, you're getting old. And she's like, you're getting old. I go, I know. <laughs> like any other working family that's getting old and just trying to uh, make it all work. But we don't talk shop. No. You guys don't tease each other at family Thanksgiving dinners if you get like a bad review or something. <laughs> No, because I don't even read the reviews. I don't, I'm not sure if my, I, I'm sure David probably does. See, I don't know. I don't talk shop. So I don't know how immersed they are in say reviews and stuff. Cause I know when I first started 30 plus, almost 40 years, how old am I? Yeah, yeah, a long time ago, 30 plus years. I started to read my reviews and I remember Peggy Fury at the time said, Oh, here's the deal with reviews. If you believe the good ones, you got to believe the bad ones. If you believe the bad ones, you got to believe the good ones. And at the end of the day, you're going to go crazy right? So you got to make a decision. So really, at the end of the day, the decision was not to read any of them because they were all opinions. And like my father used to say, Dick Pfeiffer, opinions are like- A-holes. Everyone's got one. <laughs> my dad used to say, just deed or do as long as they spell your name right. So that's, yeah, I don't read them. I don't even know if Big Sky is getting good or bad reviews. I hear little things from the cast because they read the reviews. 
I don't know if people love or hate Denise. I know the people who follow me like Denise, um, but they follow me. Otherwise, I would highly doubt they'd follow me if they hated Denise. <laughs> I don't There's know. There's nothing not to love about Denise. Yeah, okay. All right. I was just I was just curious if you guys have the kind of that fun jabbing. I know it's, <laughs> you know. We poke fun at each other all the time. Oh, don't get me wrong. We are a very, like, funny family. We're pranksters. We have running jokes, but it's not about like the industry or what we do because as family members, we're all very textured. And especially me, I have a lot of idiosyncrasies. There's just way too much material away from our careers to play with than the career stuff. The fact that I'm, you know, always talking and I'm hyper and I trust everybody too much and I'm always getting screwed and my family's like, damn it, Didi. That was my name growing up. God damn it, Didi. Yeah. <laughs> were you always called Didi? Right. Dorothy Diane's your name and then we're were you one of those people that just, well, you just always been called Dee Dee regardless? Well, okay, let's get clear on that, Jeff. When I was a kid, kids are cruel, period. Kids are cruel. They were no different when I was growing up and actually probably more so because there was no like teachers going in and saying, this is not very PC, this is bullying. I mean, there was no, no social consciousness when it comes to bullying on children. So there was this movie that would come out once a year that everybody watched called The Wizard of Oz. At this time that I grew up, everyone had like Rebecca, names like, you know, Lisa, Jill, Michelle, Lori, my sister's names, you know, and then I got my grandma's name, Dorothy, right? Which is actually Dorothy, but no one pronounces it right. So of course I got the old name and then The Wizard of Oz would come out and what do you think kids would do? Tease the shit out of me. And I was a heavy child. I was painfully shy. So the last thing I wanted was attention and that kind of attention. So I hated my name. So, but my mom did give me a nickname, thank God, of Didi. But every year in roll call, they would first say, you know, Dorothy Diane Pfeiffer and everyone would look around and I'd raise my hand, turn purple and want to, you know, earth open up and swallow me. And at that, everyone knew my real name, even though my friends called me Didi and my family, nobody, they, they, yeah, it was just not a, a pretty name. But let me tell you, I grew into my name. When I went to college, I started using my real name because then I could differentiate between people who knew me, my personal life, Dee Dee, and then my school name, Dorothy. When people said Dorothy, I knew it was from school, right? For the last 10 years when I took off to get my degree. And to the point where I realized my two boys did not even know my real name was Dorothy until one of the study groups came over and said, hey, Dorothy, do you have some water? And my boys goes, who's Dorothy? And I go, that's me. And they go, that's not your name, mom. I go, oh yeah, my name's Dorothy. And they're like, what? Since when? Because it was the name I stopped using as a kid because it was, you know, has a lot of bad memories around it until I realized how awesome my grandmother really was. And then I started embracing the name. My mom's name was, everyone knew her as Wendy, but her real name was Barbara. Her name was Barbara Wendy. So everyone always just called her by her middle name. My stepmom was Chicky. <laughs> her real name was Cheryl. You know, at one point, same thing. Cheryl. I'm like, who's that? Yeah. Chicky. <laughs> that's her real name. I'm like, what? <laughs> Well, my kids didn't even know that, that their aunt is Michelle Pfeiffer because I just, like I said, we were such a weird family. We just live our lives. It's never like, we don't sit around and say, well, hello, we have Michelle Pfeiffer at the table and David E. Kelly and Jude Cole, who's my sister-in-law's ex-husband. You know, we don't sit around and talk about that stuff. So my boys didn't know, you know, until one day when they got in elementary and they looked over and they saw their aunt's face on a People magazine and yelled, why is the Aunt Michelle's face on a People magazine? I'm like, everyone starts looking at me. I'm like, oh, shit, I better tell them. I was like, well, your aunt is kind of really successful. They're like, oh, really? Can I have a candy bar? <laughs> exactly. It's amazing how close family doesn't care about certain things like that. My boys don't watch my work, and they never have. And they nor do they watch their aunt's work or their uncle's work because it's too weird. They said it's watching your mother is just too weird. Watching your aunt is just too weird. 
they're just not impressed. They're impressed if if we were to invent a video game. That would be impressive. That would be cool. Yeah. They weren't impressed when Michelle was Catwoman. And they had to be impressed by that. <laughs> that was before they were born. Well, at this point, they've seen pictures and they know that she was Catwoman. And they know that, you know, their their friends didn't even know that I was an actor until they were walking by the room and they heard Samosa's or Braxton's mom on TV on Seinfeld. And they said, wait a minute, I know that voice. And they said to their mom, why is Braxton's mom on Seinfeld? And they were like, I guess she's an actor. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's a funny episode of Seinfeld. You, you, you've made some excellent cameos on, on shows. That's the episode, the opposite episode. Mm-hmm. George, right, comes up to you and says, I'm unemployed and I live with my parents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> resembles a lot of the guys I've dated and married. I'm <laughs> That's funny. You're like, I'm Victoria. Just to go backwards for a second, what got you into acting? So your sister was acting, right? It was just something like, oh, this seems like a, a good thing to do or? <laughs> I stumbled upon it. I had been working since, uh, I don't know, like 10, 13 years old, 12. Back then, there was no such thing as child labor. You just worked. If I wanted something in my family, I had to work for it. My dad was a blue-collar worker. My mom never drove nor worked. So we had four kids. And, you know, he came from North Dakota, you know, that whole thing. So he's like, you want it, you earn it. There's no free handouts. So we all went to work relatively really early. I had done numerous jobs by the time I was 18. And, and at that point, Michelle was working on Scarface. So she had done some stuff. And I just kind of got bored with each job. And I realized, you know, I just would be like, is this what I want to do the rest of my life? So when I was 18, I could move out. I said to her, hey, I want to try this thing called acting. And she said, okay, great. Then you're going to get your ass into a good acting workshop, period. Don't think of an agent. Don't think of headshots. Because a lot of actors at that time were getting headshots and agents before they even took an acting class. Because it just seemed like a fun thing to do. But she was like, hell no, you're going to go into an acting class and a good one. So she did. Peggy Fury was the class I went into. It was very expensive at the time. So I worked at a female oil and mud wrestler place as an illegal underage cocktail waitress to support my acting classes where the teacher would beat up on me and tell me I was shit. I was awful. Why am I bothering to act? Because I would stutter. I couldn't remember my lines. And I was a hardhead, which was my nickname from my dad. Uh, Dieter do, you're such a hardhead. I kept thinking, well, I can't quit until I figure this out, right? Because I was so bad at it. Well, to this day, I got to tell you, I still haven't figured it out. <laughs> I still wonder why people keep hiring me. I have imposter syndrome big time. Like they meant to call the other actor and they accidentally called me. So I kind of stumbled upon it and just, it's not, I don't think it's anything you ever master. And I think if you do think you mastered it, then you're, you're missing something important about the creative part of acting. Because life is always changing, writers are changing, characters and people change. So as an artist, you must kind of change as well. So it's not something I don't think you can ever master, really. So at 57, I'm still trying to figure it out, dude. <laughs> you know, Although I did disappear for 10 years, yes, because I, I hit a moment where I started becoming, well, I was always very concerned about social welfare issues, animal rights, just everything when it comes to life, you know, things that are unjust. And so I wanted to do something more than just volunteer. And at that point, I'm raising two kids on my own, two boys in particular. I wasn't crazy about the way the industry was kind of saying without saying, you're unemployed if you start growing old in front of the camera. We're not allowed to get wrinkly and lose our hair and get pudgy and see right these jowls I got here and the gobble gobble on my neck. You know, thank God, big skies embracing my aging. Denise is, you know, aging and that's cool. And I'm aging. But at the time, we were expected to continue to look the way we did when we first started 30 years before. So I didn't like any of that. But yet, because the guys were like getting all pudgy and gray and wrinkly and they were, they were sexy. I was like, how's that not fair? Right. 
So I decided, well, I'll just take a break and go uh, try to get one of those things called a degree. I literally, Jeff had no idea what I was doing. I thought I could just go get one and then come back to acting. <laughs> 10 years later, I got a master's of social work and a bachelor's of psych. Along the way, discovered me- multiple learning disabilities. I learned a lot about myself. I got sober, by the way. In the middle of my UCLA master's program, I had to take a year off to get sober. I had to address my alcoholism finally. And that alone, I'm almost three years sober, really changed my life. And it not only made me, I think, a better social worker, a better mother, a better sister, a better actor. It's the first time right now I'm acting, not going to have beers or drink or whatever at at the end of the day shooting. So I did a lot in 10 years. Got sober, got a degree, raised my boys, showed my boys without telling them, showed them at any age, you can stop what you're doing and start something else. And even though I wanted to give up because it was really hard, I didn't. So I just wanted to show them versus tell them that life is your palette. Life is what you, uh, whatever you make it. At the end of the day, I hope they watch me be a, a mother that cares about people, cares about mankind. I care about animals. I care about right and good and positive things, right? And light. We got to have enough of us out there to counter the dark. Hopefully I'm raising two good human beings at the end of the day. And I am on big sky at 57. That's pretty damn cool. <laughs> that, that is pretty cool. And, and that is an inspirational, a very inspirational journey for your kids to be a role, a role model, is to set as a role model. Congratulations on three years sober, by the way. That's- Thank you. Yeah. But I want to show them all of these things in life, right? Because it's like the hurdles that we have are, gen- there are some solid, L- listen, if I didn't have any legs, I can't run a marathon. Although guess what? People without legs do run marathons. See, I want to say that and that's actually incorrect. So it's like the limitations sometimes are the ones we set for ourselves. And if you have an addiction or any kind of mental health issues or any of those things that are not being addressed or you know assessed for and then treated properly, I might add, those are going to be huge obstacles. And I want to talk about these things in a normal conversation like this because it doesn't have to be this big thing, you know. It's not. It's not a big thing. It's a big thing if it's if your disease is ruling your life. Absolutely, right? So DD Pfeiffer has an addiction. DD Pfeiffer went to treatment. DD Pfeiffer went to rehab. My boys now know what that looks like, and I'm now showing them what recovery looks like, and that's okay. It can be embarrassing, sure, for them at their age. They're teenagers. They don't want to talk about their mother being in recovery because that's what society says is embarrassing. I say no, it's not. Save my fucking life. How is something that saved my life embarrassing? No, no, yeah, right? Definitely not embarrassing anymore. I could see where like it, there was one point where there was a stigma on it, but I think I think that's kind of Oh, there still is. worn off. Yes, but I think it's it's eroding, I think in a in more now than it's ever been. Right, Jeff, and I I want to be part of that erosion. Let's break that down. Right? There was a, an athlete the other day who just got on I, I, whatever it was, faced him and said, "Hey, I'm gay." Now let's move on. And I was like, "I love the way he did that." It was like it's, it's sad I had to make this comment. Said I had to even bring it up, but I did. Now let's move on. And I was like, I love it. That's exactly how I'm dealing with my addiction. And it's just something I want to make sure that I'm a soft landing. If my boys ever, ever end up finding themselves struggling with an addiction, I want their mother to be a soft landing and all those around me, right? And the only way to do that is just to pave the road and show them what the journey looks like. That's it. I have a question and I don't know if, if I'm, I don't know how to ask the question if I ask it wrong. Just let me know. How long did you struggle with the alcoholism alcoholism? Or was it like an always thing and then finally you just decided to focus on conquering it? There's a huge misunderstanding when it comes to addiction. For instance, my addiction was always there, but when I was younger, of course I wasn't three drinking a beer, right? That's not what happened. But there's an alcohol I have a history of alcoholism. My father 
unfortunately died with his alcoholism. He died of cancer, but he died with his alcoholism. He wasn't drinking because he was doing chemo and stuff, but he still had the alcoholic brain. He, ne- he died never having the opportunity that I have. And I'm a lot like my dad, right? So I was given the opportunity and the tools that we have now in the millennium for those of us who have addictions. And let's go back for a minute. DOC, your drug of choice. It's kind of irrelevant whether or not you're an alcoholic, a meth head, heroin, food addict, gambling addict. An addiction is an addiction. And if it's affecting life in a negative way, that's something to be addressed. And then, because you know privately if this is, if what you're doing is affecting you in a negative, negative way. People don't need to tell you. You, uh, those of us who know, we know. So before alcohol, it would be sex with my boyfriends. Before that, it was definitely food. I was anorexic, that whole thing, because it was food addiction, right? Purging and all that stuff. Before that, I would say love addiction. Before that, working out and working addiction. So really, I was always an addict. It manifests itself in different ways. So the, your drug of choice, whether it's an actual physical thing or an action like working out, addi- you can work out till you're you know, addicted to your body's going, stop, stop, right? If something's affecting your life in a negative way, then you know that's when you have the opportunity. You do have the opportunity to, to address it. Not everybody has the care that I had either though, but it is out there. You know, if you just pick up the phone. Now, um, so to answer your question, I would say because there's alcoholism all over my family and an addiction and God knows what else on the Pfeiffer side too, because there's Pfeiffer's running around all over the place I've never <laughs> met. <laughs> one of us, four kids in my family, Michelle, uh, Rick, and Lori and me, one of us was going to get it. I like to say that I was the lucky one. And I say that because my life is better now in recovery than it was before when I was so struggling all the time. Because now I get an opportunity to discover who I really am away from my addiction, choking me quietly, silently. And those close to me knew. They know. You know when you have a friend who's struggling with something. And it's so nice to say, okay, that was then. This is now. And even though sometimes you have tough days, hell, people who are not in recovery have tough days. What's the difference? The difference is I have an opportunity to show people that they can do it. And that inspires me knowing that I inspire other people that they can do it too. Very inspirational. In three years, here's to the next bazillion years, every year. A baby in recovery. I mean, I know people who've got like 13 years, 35 years, and, and I feel like I've been doing this for a long time. And um, I've seen people relapse, by the way, after 40 some years. Those are the stories that scare the shit out of me because ne- you're never safe when you're in recovery and you're an addict. I mean, I'm doing great today, but that doesn't mean tomorrow might not be different, right? So you, you always are checking your shit at the door. Every day you wake up, you're checking your shit at the door. Otherwise, your addiction will kneecap you and you will become a statistic in when it comes to relapse. This is why the relapses are so high. Was it helpful to you, do you think, to start to conquer the addiction by being away from the industry? Oh my God, yeah. Like I said, I was, in my, I was um, done with my first year of a two-year master's degree at UCLA. And there I am helping people with addictions, with mental illness, those experiencing homelessness. That was my area of concentration. And every time we got to the addiction part of chapters or in any of my classes, there was that little private part of me that was resistant because I knew it was too close to home. And I think those around me too were a little concerned, like how can one help others when they're struggling? But if you look at people who go into being therapists or uh, in the helping profession of health and welfare social workers, what have you. A lot of us have come from a pretty jacked up past. It's not uncommon for us to then want to help, but I had not embraced it. And it hit me. It was just too many of my mom passing away. I was exhausted from the journey to get to my last year. And my family just said, okay, we're done with this. We're going to do an intervention. Little did they know that I was already looking at like on TV when they call 1-800-ADDICTION um, and we can help you. It's anonymous. And I was about to call one of those numbers and say, hey, this, I'm, my name is Jill and I don't know how to do this. 
And I thought, how many other people out there are struggling? Because it's the embarrassment and the shame that you carry with you that I didn't feel like I was tough enough or strong enough to stop, to control it. Something is wrong with me, right? That I can't control this. So why even fucking bother? Because I'm a loser. It's all of this internal conversations you have that keep you from picking up the phone. And when I had such an amazing family say, we see you here, you're struggling. We'd like to do an intervention. I said, don't bother. Just tell me where to go. Take care of my boys and I'll go. It's touching how close your family is and, and how much they took care of you and, and came to you. You know, A lot of families never say anything. A lot of friends never say anything. Because it's hard. And I have such empathy for the families around an addict. I really, really do. It is very, very hard on the family. It is not a, like a, a linear problem where only the addict is suffering. The, it, it's a ripple effect. Absolutely. It affects everybody. So what happens is when you're in recovery and you're an addict who's in recovery, you go from the, the identified problem in the family to the identified possibility in the family. And let me tell you, it's pretty exciting every day I wake up to be the identified possibility. My family looks at me no longer as the identified problem, but the identified possibility. And hopefully I inspire them to look at their lives and go, well, shit, if Didi can do that and be loud and proud about it and hold no shame about it, although I still have some shame just because I'm an addict and that's what happens. <laughs> we, we always have shame we have to work on, right? Right? What can they do with their lives? What, what are the possibilities that you can start conquering? And hopefully that's what we can do. Because I'm going to tell you right now, being the identified problem is miserable, is hard. You're slowly dying. Let's just go there. That's what it is. And everyone's watching you slowly die. And that's really painful, really painful. But there are the ways to turn that around. We've got tons of great things ahead of us. Many amazing things on the horizon. D.D. Pfeiffer. That's right, Jeff. <laughs> it's hard to like go from this to pivoting to, so you dated George Clooney. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> do it. Yeah, I dated George back in the day when we were young and yeah, <laughs> young. And looking back, I just I was so ugly and unattractive and fat. I look back and go, oh man, what a big waste. I actually was kind of cute. <laughs> uh, that was fun. George and I, you know, I was doing um, movies and he was doing TV and he hated that because at the time, you have to understand, doing movies was considered like you were an A actor if you did movies and you were a B actor if you did TV back then. He um, was just doing pilots and stuff, making a shitload of money. And I was doing films, broke as broke, broke. So there was this jealousy. I was jealous of him because he had all this money. So he'd take me to dinner because I couldn't afford dinner. And then he was jealous of me because I was doing films, right? But I was like, yeah, but I can't pay my rent, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so um, we had that. We walked the pavement, you know, and all that. And I think it's funny as hell because I got married and divorced three times. And he kept saying, D, why do you keep getting married? Who's married now, bro? Who's got kids now, buddy? <laughs> Yeah, uh-huh. You would have been dating him in the full Clooney head of hair face. <laughs> oh, I have posters of him and me in red surf. He, oh, he was gorgeous George. Yeah. Hell, George is still gorgeous. He'll, he'll always be gorgeous, that one. Red surf. So I wasn't able to watch red surf, mm -hmm. but I was able because I couldn't find a place where it was streaming, but I did watch the preview. And it was why it was staying alive is only half the battle. It was funny. It's because there's like, there's definitely a, an early George Clooney acting style that he <laughs> yeah. later, but you were in it. But there was also Doug Savant from Melrose Place and Gene Simmons. Yeah. I am known for being in projects with a very eclectic group of people. You kind of see that? It's like if there's an eclectic cast, I'm somehow sometimes always in there. <laughs> <laughs> you did guest on ER during the Clooney phase, right? Dur during the Clooney years, right? He was not on it then. Did you just miss George Clooney? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I dated George. I didn't miss nothing. <laughs> I, I mean on ER, on ER. <laughs> 
That was when he was like becoming super famous, George Clooney. Yeah, I remember him. He came over and he showed me the pilot. He goes, "This is it, D. This is it. This is gonna put me." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, let's go get some, you know, vodka. Let's go drink." <laughs> Such an alcoholic, right? He's like, "Okay, okay." Goes, but you check this out. I'm like, "Dude, it's bloody." And he's like, "Yeah." Blah, blah. And he was just so excited about it. And I was just like, "I just wanted." Yeah, I was like, "Whatever." When it aired, I was like, "Oh shit, it did! It launched. <laughs> he's off and running now." He knew the minute he saw the pilot, this was gonna be it. He was excited. Yeah. That's awesome. So, so you you can always hold it over Michelle's head that you worked with George Clooney before she did. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> He had this old car that had these holes in the side. And when he left, Michelle was like, who's this guy? So always George, you know, your friend Jill um, introduced me to him. And he, hey, he's gorgeous. She goes, yeah, yeah. What, what's up with the bullet holes in the side of the car? So she thought he had bullet holes. So she wasn't fond of him in the beginning. So that's one of our running jokes is that she thought he had bullet holes. There were rivets. You know, the side paneling had fallen off. So it looked like bullet holes. And yeah, because he had a broken down big car or something like that. And then, of course, my little sister, who's really shy, Lori, she was chilly to him, right? Because she thought it was just gorgeous. So she got really shy. So he's like, well, okay, great. Your older sister thinks that I have bullet holes in my car and your younger sister hates me. I'm like, George, shut up. No, they don't. And, you know, so for years he gave them shit for like hating him for one, one thinking he was like, you know, a gangsta and the other one just thinking he was, I don't know why he thought Lori hated him. Lori goes, I never hate him. I go, to this day, he thinks you hate him. <laughs> he's <scared. laughs> That's funny. That is really funny. When I started dating my wife, she was missing part of the, who, by the way, is a social worker. Oh. She has a social worker's degree, a social worker degree also. So you guys have that in common. Maybe you're in a Facebook group together. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but she, her car was missing the floor. <laughs> yeah. But I wasn't dating a car that was anything better at the time. I was dating like a, an 87, like Chrysler LeBaron. It was like one of these white cars that looked like your grandpa had just pulled up from Florida. Yeah. That's how I always knew my wife loved me. I was like, cause like she fell in love with me with this car. That's how you know it's real love. That's love right there. Exactly. <laughs> in, in the movies, you got, you worked with Michelle in three movies. Was it fun or did you like with David E. Kelly with Big Sky, not really even connect? Well, it's different when you're on screen with somebody then versus them in a Zoom meeting. And they're a little head in a window. Because with series, when you're doing a series, you're working with a lot of different people. So David is like the creator, writer, and all that. So he's kind of up over there doing that. And then you have the producers who are hands-on. So in the show, I'm, I'm working with other producers than David. When you're on screen, you're working with the other actor, right? So it was great working with my sister because she's my sister. I think the only thing that I think we both not, I don't even say struggled with because that's not the right word, but the, that we thought I think odd was that we work differently. To me anyways, I noticed immediately we work different. I come from, you know, improv and very loosey goosey. And I, I, I use a lot of different way of trainings that I've studied, kind of a mishmash. I'm very much a patchwork. I'd say Shell is like this silk, gorgeous blanket, you know, just solid just an antique, gorgeous silk. She's very meticulous with her acting and, and the technique she uses. And then you got me on this wild card. So it doesn't really matter if they're two sisters with different styles. This happens often on a set when you just have actors who work differently, right? Right. You work different. That doesn't make one better than the other. It's just, we're just different. So there was that challenge to try to come to some kind of a balance where she likes rehearsals and she wants to know what's happening and that whole thing, at least back in the day, right? I don't know if she's that way anymore. Whereas I was more like, oh, throw me, throw me something wild. You know, I, I want it like raw and real. And, and um, not all actors are comfortable with that, right? I'm not an actor, but I'll take your word for it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for me, it was more like, oh, I had no idea that we really work differently. It was, it was a discovery more than anything. 
It makes sense. You each have like these visions. Any actor probably has a vision in their head how to get there and you get there how you get there. Yeah, like Catherine, who's on Big Sky, she's one of the leads. We were doing a scene and she had asked me, she said uh, in one of the scenes last season, she was like, hey, can you do me a favor? Can you pick up your line and pick it up? You know, you kind of leave me hanging. And I said, well, can I ask you a question? I said, sure, I have no problem doing that, of course. But let me ask you a question before I do. How does it make you feel when I'm leaving you hanging? She goes, really kind of uncomfortable. I said, and then what? And she goes, well, it's just making me kind of have to sit like I'm uncomfortable. I said, do you think maybe Denise is doing that with Jenny? That's what our character's name. I said, do you think maybe I'm quiet and looking at my line because I'm giving you a moment to feel the grief of losing someone that you love? And she goes, oh, I didn't get that. I said, so I kind of spoon fed it to her, right? But see, like there's a way where she was expecting this back and forth banter. And yet I came in to it from a psychological perspective, which is kind of how I scored Denise, where she's, you know, she's got some social worker skills and, you know, this where sometimes when you're... Yeah, we'll call it, you've been Pfeiffered. We'll call it, you've been Pfeiffered. Exactly. When you're quiet, the other person's left with, see, like, what are you left with? You're a little uncomfortable. <laughs> You have to master the silence. It's, it's yeah, a skill. Yeah, right? so, like, this is a different way. They always say there's a lot in the silence. And this is true. But I also think it's cool with another character, especially because her character was going through grief. And I thought I, was, I would try one take doing something interesting. So see what I'm saying? And yet I kind of had to explain to her like what I was doing so that it didn't trip her up in the sinks. That's not fair. I'm not into tripping other actors up, but I also am into doing things that they don't expect. So they get an organic, natural reaction and feeling. And hopefully that camera's rolling and there's not, not out of focus or something, right? <laughs> yeah. Those are the takes that you want. That's, that's the stuff that makes the audience excited, right? I love that you have such a science behind it, but it's- yes. Yes, Jeff. An, orga- an organic sci- science to it. I mean, people don't think that maybe I'm doing much as Denise because I'm not on screen a lot, but I'm telling you, I give Denise a lot of thought. There's a lot of things that go into why I speak and why I don't speak and the things that I say. And then when the writers give me the lines, they're emotionally charged with a lot of history. You would never know all the stuff that I do for this, this character, even though you don't see her a lot. But maybe this next season you will. I don't know. We'll see. I'll know when you guys know. <laughs> I think there, there's a, I called David E. Kelly before this, and there's a potential Denise spinoff in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Well, then it has to revolve around aliens because I'm in New Mexico right now and I want to be abducted. Jeff, I need a vacation. I always tell everybody, I need to be abducted just so I could just get out of the units for a minute. I need a vacation. They're like, Didi, you're insane. I said, there you go. And Denise believes in aliens. The last season, they threw a line in there about watching um, alien spotting with some date I had. See, I love that shit because I'm not alone out there with my alien beliefs. <laughs> <laughs> You got to embrace it. It's it's the best time ever to have alien beliefs now now more than ever. Dude, I uh, why not believe in that? I mean, we can't believe we're the only life form in the entire universe. That's so arrogant. Ooh, and I don't want to be the only ones because humans were kind of doing some stuff to our own planet that ain't very nice. So I hope there's something else going on out there as another option. <laughs> and I don't, I wouldn't mind going to visit that second option. Just don't do these experiments on me. That sounds a little funky. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone listening, please do not probe DD Pfeiffer. Yeah. All right. Well, I just I, I just put it out there. Let that bounce off a few satellites and then we'll go. <laughs> <laughs> You've been in some big comedies, right? Like you were in Sybil. What's one of the things if you look up your name, they're like, oh, known for Sybil. I didn't know you so much from that show. I did watch an episode just to kind of catch it and bring it in. And it's a, it was a hell of a cast, actually, in a, yeah. a Chuck Lore show. And, and I got a chance to see Tom Wopat and Sybil sing. I don't know if that was something they put in their contract. But for your love, okay? So I loved that show when it was on. And I wanted to rewatch it. I couldn't find it anywhere. I found it on YouTube. Found it on YouTube. You were great in that. That was such a fun show. 
again, another fun cast. You did that for like four years. Mm-hmm. After Sybil and For Your Love, is, is part of your frustrations with the industry, that, like, like where was the next sitcom? You're clearly a great sitcom actor. You had a flair for it. You have a flair for the funny. I did a pilot for uh, NBC Paramount, Kelsey Grammer pilot, um, called uh, Neurotic Tendencies. Really, we had high hopes, but we didn't get picked up. So that was going to hopefully be my next one. And I was a lead in that one with Gary Cole, actually, who I've worked with two or three times now. I don't know. Gary and I like always seem to work together. It's, it's very fun. We've worked on Midnight Caller. We did uh, Neurotic Tendencies and I think another one. We're always, <laughs> always working with Gary. It's very funny. Gary Cole is awesome. He's amazing. I love him. He's so sweet. Oh, he's so sweet. Let's see. I did that. And then after that, I did like some films. You know what happened? I started, um, I was reading for stuff and not getting it. I think I was starting to get really nervous. You know what I mean? There was like this nervous performance that was coming out. I, people had high hopes for me to score another, um, series. And I think that I'm not going to say that my addiction probably wasn't part of my inability to be a hundred percent. I think that's true. I think I was maybe in some relationships that also kind of were not very mm, positive in my life. And I take uh, 50% responsibility for that as well. I mean, it takes two to tango, right? I'm not blaming anything on anybody else, nor my addiction. But, you know, that's, I didn't ask for that, right? No one says, hey, I want to wake up one morning and I want to be an addict. I mean, I I think looking back, I think the universe kind of had to kneecap me for a minute in a strange way so that the trajectory changed so that I went to school so I could check out from the pressures for a minute. And then in school, discovered a lot of other things about myself and raising my boys alone, that whole journey within itself is just, um, it's tough. I get a lot of credit for any single parent. And then, you know, trying to be successful in relationships while in denial with, with my addiction, right? That whole thing. So at the end of the day, I was about to go out and be a social worker working with those with experiencing homelessness, mental illness, and substance use, sober, when David, out of nowhere, sent me a text. The man never calls me, let alone texts me. It says, hey, are you still laughing? I think I have a role for you. And I was like, what? What the fuck? Well, I almost dropped my phone because he didn't know something, Jeff. And I love telling this story. At that point, I had no idea how I was going to survive on a social worker's income raising two teenage boys and throwing some rescued animals who like to eat as well. I had no idea how I was going to do that. I really didn't. But I trusted my sobriety. I trusted that my heart, my soul, my authentic self was in a positive place. I had to trust that somehow the universe was going to shift and allow me to do good in the world. And then he threw me this bone, this lifeline, not bone. He threw me a lifeline. And that's how I got this job. So I graduated with my master's during COVID online and was, did this pilot. And then the show got picked up. So I have every opportunity, every goal right now is to merge my now old fan base and my new fan base together one day on with a talk show that revolves around social welfare issues that I'd like to be the host of and invite all my friends I went to school with who are fantastic people who are not making enough money to properly survive. And I'm not talking about getting rich, right? And and give them a format to give back to society and communities and the world, give them a platform to give back. So there's that. Who would have ever thought? So my journey is a strange one. It's a bumpy one. But I don't think it's any different than a lot of other people I've heard who've chosen to do difficult things, like address the demons in your life, in your world. Well, it's awesome how you've embraced your journey and making all these good things happen in the world. Yeah, who would have thought? That was cool of David E. Kelly to to text you. Yeah, 
not like out like people go, oh, it's about time you hired you. I'm like, no, but think about it. Had he given me, well, first of all, I read for David shows before. So everyone just chillax there for a minute, guys, gals and days. I read for David shows back in the past and I didn't get the roles because other people were better for the role. Right. And God bless him for that because his shows are fantastic. Right. But out of nowhere, he got this, he got CJ Box's books, the novels, you know, and he wrote this pilot and he said, damn, I think he's really good for Denise. And there I was over there going, what am I going to do when I graduate? What am I going to do? How am I going to figure this out? The universe said, oh, we'll help you out with that one, Dee Dee. There you go. I don't know, Dee Dee. You could have been Allie McBeal. I'm going to, if I see David <laughs> Kelly, I'm going to have words. I'm don't gonna have words. think that David didn't rip off some characteristics from me for Allie. I know for a fact that he did because I watched the show and I was like, oh my God, that's me. I said, you are such a thief. And he's just like, what? I go, Shell, Michelle, he's stealing your money. He steals from everybody. <laughs> 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 well, that's what makes him so great. He just sits quietly in a room and watches and he's a sponge. And the more like you have idiosyncrasies and the more quirks you have, the better. We'll give that to some character in one of his shows. And then they get like awards and nominations. <laughs> David E. Kelly is like one of those guys who like Shonda, Shonda Rhimes is in that world too, where every show is by that person. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I, I grew up where every show on TV was a David E. Kelly show. <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty cool. I do have, well, two things. I do want to just kudos to the amazing scene in Falling Down because that's that's a great scene. It's a classic scene. Thank you. (laughs) I was going to bring this up anyway, but my wife would kill me if I didn't because Friends is one of our favorite shows. When I say our, it's my wife's favorite show. I also love it, but she's the one that's obsessed with it. So... When I mentioned of that, oh, hey, you know, Dee Dee Pfeiffer was uh, in that one episode. And she's like, why? <laughs> she got so excited. So you're in like a really important episode of the series. One, it's a, a funny character. You play Phoebe's friend, Mary Ellen Jenkins. But you're in the scene with uh, you're in Paul Rudd's first scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in a transitional scene for the show, for sure. Yeah. I actually tell your wife, it's a very funny story. I had just given birth to my first son, Braxton. He was maybe not even three months old. I was breastfeeding in the waiting room with the baby's daddy, about to go interview for the pediatrician, the doctor pediatrician in that episode. Remember Ross's pediatrician? Mm -hmm. That role. And then they said, hey, we want you to read this other role in the show, which was, you know, Matt's perfect girlfriend. So I was like, oh, okay. I went back out and I'm breastfeeding my son again. In the waiting room with a blanket. Nobody knew what I was doing. I'm not one of those. And so, but my son needed to feed. And then I got the role. And I was like, wait a minute. I'm like, what? How did I get that role? Like to this day, I still don't know how I got that role. So while I was on the, the show, I went on the set with like vomit down the back of my jacket on rehearsal because I was burping my son in the room. And it was just so funny. Everyone thought, oh my God, you're like the perfect girlfriend. I'm like, I was, <laughs> I was a mess. I was a brand new mother with projectile on the back of my suede jacket trying to act all cool. And I really, yeah. And then um, my son took the curtain call with me at three months. He And he met Jennifer and everybody. He has no idea because he was three months. He doesn't realize how cool that is, right? I'm like, Braxton, do you know that you met the whole cast? He's like, well, I was three months. I don't know. That is pretty cool, though. So I will say, one, they made a mistake not carrying your character before. They never gave Joey good girlfriends, in my opinion. You would have been a great person, especially since you have such great comic timing and you're so hilarious. I mean, considering the other person at the table went on to the end of the series. They did film more. There was, I think, another scene, or the, but they cut it all down. And what they had said to me was, unfortunately, we had to cut it down because you're right. I think they wanted to see more of it. But this was the, the episode that Phoebe's 
life was going to go into this other direction. So they didn't want to confuse the audience and have them want to go in two directions. So mine had to, to be cut down, right? To keep the attention on Phoebe and the trajectory of her character. Um, but I was like, hey, man, I'm, I'm friends either way. I was there. And you know what happened? I've got to be honest with Jeff. I'll tell your wife. She's going to be like, what's up with Didi's boobs? As I was waiting to go on the scene, my son fell asleep. And if you've ever had kids and you're breastfeeding, your breasts start to get engorged. And as he was sleeping and sleeping and sleeping, my breasts were getting bigger and bigger. And bigger. by the time I went out on the set, even Lisa Kudrow or one of the characters was like, what the hell is going on with your tits? I go, my son fell asleep. My breasts are like I'm falling out of my wardrobe. So that character had a nice set of knockers thanks to my son's nap. <laughs> Friends exclusive right here live from Detroit. All right. So here's here's the funny thing. As I was rewatching it, Phoebe says to you, smart, cute, and loose. And then you eat the olives, all the olives off the toothpick, right? And so, but the thing I noticed in rewatching it, which I'd never noticed before, when they then cut back, there's then a scene where it cuts back and you're holding the, the martini. The olives are still in it. <laughs> After you ate them. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that, that was so really was a close-up they got. And then, yeah. Yeah, you ate the olives and they pull back and the olives are back in the thing. So, boom. That's somebody in continuity department. It's going, damn, I missed that. <laughs> I know. Two friends exclusives right here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I want you to tell everyone where they can find you on social media so they can keep up with you after the fact. Feel free when you mention your Instagram to mention Panny, your cockatoo, which is what everyone will be treated to when they go to your Instagram. Well, yeah, she hoards my Instagram. Um, I keep asking her to get her own, but she refuses. She's a diva. Actually, I'm lame when it comes to social media. My sons never let me do it before I got on the show. And then when I got on the show, they were like, you have to do publicity. My publicist, who I never had before, was like, you need to do social media. I'm like, I don't even know how to do that stuff. And she's like, oh, Jesus. So I'm only on Instagram. And it's Dee Pfeiffer official. I'm a newbie. So forgive me, people, if I do something silly or stupid. And I'm still learning and I just do a lot of fun things. I do things that make you feel good or go, oh, big fan of like animals and things that make you feel good. And of course, publicity for the show. I'll do like, I have some pictures on there behind the scenes and what have you. And Pandora, my son's cockatoo, who's completely taken over my entire Instagram account. And literally people say, where's Panny? Haven't seen Panny lately. What how did Panny feel about moving to New Mexico? <laughs> Dude, Jeff, I'm going to try to get the cockatoo in one of the scenes this year in Big Sky. Wouldn't that be funny? I would love that. And especially now that you've said it, and then I'll be able to see it. And I'll be like, ah, damn. People who follow me will lose their shit. If Panny does a cameo, I'm going to tell the producers, if Panny does a cameo, my followers anyways are going to be like, oh my God, Panny did it. She got on the show. (laughs) Dee Dee, let me give you one one Instagram piece of advice. You should definitely get Panny. Get her her own Instagram. My dog Lola (laughs) has her own Instagram, has over like 12,000 followers on Instagram. (laughs) Dude, I have like a little over 5,000, which I'm really flattered because that's just people finding me, right? I didn't do anything special to try to get the little check or the dot or everyone's like, oh, you need to get the dot or the check. I I don't need to do anything. I'm just doing my own thing. Everybody chillax. I love my followers. They love me. I respond sometimes. You know what I mean? I like if they say some comments, keep it kind of small and intimate. I don't need like a billion people. That actually scared me. I'd probably run away. I feel like there's an intimacy between you know my followers and me it's cool i like it but panny if she gets her own you know that she'll get like the check or the dot and then i'll get all like a player hater and then you know i'll get bit even more than i already get bit by her she's already impossible at dinner i don't want to my son's like you were totally pimping out my bird i said totally i am totally pimping out your bird people love the bird more than me 
too funny. Didi, I, this was a lot of fun. I can't thank you enough for hanging out with me. Thank you so much. In my day, I was having like a real kind of a sad day. And now I'm happy. Thank you. Well, I'm glad. And I'm glad that you're three plus years sober. I'm glad the journey that you took is taking you to so many amazing places. And I'm excited for further success of Big Sky and of Didi Pfeiffer in general. And I'm looking for that special cockatoo cameo <laughs> on Big Sky. It'd be a huge miss for David E. Kelly to not hire the cockatoo. But thank you so much. I really had a great time. Thank you. Yeah, this has been so much fun. Thank you. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, Dee Dee Pfeiffer, what did I tell you? Amazing story, wasn't it? So inspirational. So happy she shared all of that with me and you. And if you don't already watch Big Sky, definitely catch up on season one. You can watch it on Hulu. That's where I watched it. Season two is coming. Dee Dee Pfeiffer's coming back as Denise. It's going to be awesome. David E. Kelly shows are always entertaining. So definitely check out Dee Dee Pfeiffer on Big Sky. Well, here we are at the end of another episode. You know what that means. That means it's time for another trending hashtag from the family of hashtag games at hashtag roundup. That's right. Get your Twitter on at hashtag roundup. Shouldn't Twitter be fun? Yes, it should. And that's why hashtag roundup exists. Play hashtag games all day, every day. Grab the free hashtag roundup app on Apple or Google. Get notified every time a hashtag game goes live. Also follow hashtag roundup on Twitter at hashtag roundup. Never miss a game. Play along. And one day, one of your tweets may show up on a future episode of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show. Dee Dee Pfeiffer inspired this next hashtag. Her bird actually inspired a panty. We hope Annie does get that cameo on Big Sky. But in the meantime, we're going to read some amazing hashtags from the hashtag game. Hashtag put a bird in a movie or show brought to us by Dangerous Tags, a weekly game on hashtag roundup. Put a bird in a movie or show, the ultimate mashup game. Take a bird, any kind of bird, and mash it into a movie title or show title. And what happens? Hilarity ensues. Here's some great examples. And after the show, get on Twitter and tweet your own hashtag. Put a bird in a movie or show. As always, all the tweets I read will be retweeted at Jeff Jawaskin Show on Twitter. They'll be in the show notes. Show them some love. One day you'll be on that list and you'll want someone to show you the love as well. All right, get ready for some amazing hashtag. Put a bird in a movie or show tweets. And here we go. Parakeet and Peel. House of Cardinals. The Chevy Chase classic, Foul Play. Quails from the Crypt. The Big Bird Theory. Parrots of the Caribbean. These are all amazing hashtag put a bird in a movie or show tweets. And I think any of these could be a starring vehicle for Panny. But wait, there's more. To Wong Fu. Thanks for every wing. Julie Newmar. <laughs> Very clever, Jake. Punky Rooster, The Carol Birdnet Show, 12 Angry Hens, Parrot Mason, Kiwi's Big Adventure, Twin Beaks, When Harry Pecks Sally, He's Just Not Into Emu, A Few Good Wren, Sparrowcuss, An American and Parrots, Happy Jays, and to wrap it up, our final hashtag, put a bird in a movie or show, Little Grouse on the Prairie. Oh, all right. I think Panny's manager is probably all over these. Any one of you want to write a spec script and send it over to D.D. Pfeiffer to see if Panny wants to star in it? I definitely encourage you to do that. But with that, we are at the end of another episode. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. 
71 episodes have come and gone. How is that even possible? So great to have you back each and every week. I do want to thank, once again, my amazing guest, D.D. Pfeiffer. And I, of course, want to thank all of you for coming back week after week. I can't thank you enough. It means the world to me. And I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Jeff Dwoskin Show with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Now go repeat everything you heard and sound like a genius. Catch us online at thejeffdwoskinshow.com or follow us on Twitter at Jeff Dwoskin Show. And we'll see you next time.